This is Carol Hamilton with Red Fox Road, and you should be listening to Breaking Business Barriers podcast with Brent, Joseph, and Brandon, the best friends a girl could have. Welcome to Breaking Business Barriers, where we believe that choosing to go all in is the only way to create true freedom in your business and life. Now join your hosts, Brent Duhame, Dr. Joseph Kay, and Brandon Straza, as they talk to industry leaders, veteran CEOs, and cutting-edge entrepreneurs about the tough decisions they made on their way to success. This is Breaking Business Barriers. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Business Barriers. I'm your host, Brandon Strauss of The Real Naked Agent, along with Dr. Joseph K. Brent Duhin. And today, we've got a really special guest. And why I say that, you probably hear this all the time. I met this person in prison. <laughs> you hear her chuckling in the background. I had the fortune, thanks to our, a mutual friend of ours, mm-hmm. who's, a, who's a pretty big to do in the, the world of business and who's who, uh, Steve Sims, right. Steve D. Sims, because yes. he's the only D out there. And you and I met at a Max 4 penitentiary where we spent an entire day with EITs, that's entrepreneurs in training. And uh, we didn't talk a lot on the bus ride there, but boy, we had a few things to talk about on the bus ride back, didn't we? We did. We did. My first trip to prison. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Yours? It was, but it's not going to be my last. I'll be back right. there in August. And we might talk a little bit about that today, but yeah. let's let's kind of hop right into it. And why don't you tell us the story of Carol and how you became going through TEDx? Yeah. And getting up there and saying, oh, bleep. Yeah. I I don't know if I can do this and what I'm going to talk on, but to where it's taking you today, like you flew in um, from the East Coast to be here with a a pretty well-to-do company. Mm -hmm. Can we say their name? I don't have any objection. Yeah. Okay. I don't work for them, so sure. Mr. Koopa. That's right. Uh, if anybody out there doesn't know that, they are a mortgage banking lender. They are. And they're an amazing company. They really are. Right. And they're one of the fastest growing ones out there right now. Mm-hmm. So, But you're here helping uh, Mr. Cooper and that company. But you've helped a lot of companies. When, when we take a look at your resume, you've worked with American Airlines, GE, Lockheed Martin. Carol, how did you get to where you're at now? Well, it it wasn't a straight path, that's for sure. So I was always the person in the background. I was always the one hanging out in the back because as a kid, I was the one who failed so many times in public forums that I pretty much decided I was going to have a life of duct tape over my mouth, that that would be the easiest way to approach things. And uh, somewhere along the line, I I was helping comedians. I worked in a comedy club and I was an easy laugh which is gold in a comedy club. And they, they, they immediately found out who it was that was laughing because I was in there night after night. And they found out I was from the Midwest. And being from the Midwest meant if they could get me to laugh, they could have a shot at getting on The Tonight Show. And so that became the connection was we got to get that Midwesterner in here laughing. And my worst days were when they came up afterwards and they said, oh, Carol, I didn't hear you laughing. Were you in the room? And the answer was yes. And it'd be like, yeah, it's just that I'm sorry, but you kind of sucked. You know, and, 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 and uh, no pressure when you walk in. yeah, exactly. And so anyway, that was my history. And from there, I did a number of other things, but I ended up falling in love with an engineer. And when I met him and started hanging out with his brilliant friends, what I discovered is engineers are really, really bright people who work on really interesting technical things who don't always know how to communicate. 
Sure. And so I ended up kind of going, well, that's an interesting idea is to just work a little bit. But again, this is not a career by any stretch. And so um, I ended up doing this other really weird thing called feng shui, which is uh, helping people understand environment and how that impacts them. I got to say, Brent said, what the is feng shui? And you I wouldn't tried be the to describe it. <laughs> Wouldn't be embarrassed if I was, because right. I had no idea. Right. So feng shui is about helping people understand how an environment impacts you. So if you say, oh my God, I hate my house, I want to sell it. The question is, what did it look like and feel like when you were in love with it? And is there a way to have it transition into who you are now instead of having to move? Because sometimes that's a better move or a better way to go. And again, that was kind of a stumble into it thing. That's a whole other story that should probably have alcohol because it's easier to understand when it does. <laughs> sure. But the reality is it was all about helping people just look inside and see what they wanted and frequently giving them permission to make some massive change in their life. And so that's, that's where I was. And I am starving doing it because nobody knows what it is. And I'm sitting at this event for TED Salon and if you're familiar with the TED organization, they mm -hmm. have this big, very fancy, very formal organization that meets with the big speakers, the Bill Gates of the world, once a year. 10,000 bucks a ticket. Yes, you should cover your mouth because it should be whispered. Then there's the TEDx level, which is in almost every city at this point around the world. There's a TEDx Mumbai, et cetera. Sure. These are much easier to get into. They're typically, the tickets are under $100. It's, it's a whole different scenario. It's not actually a part of the organization, but they're connected by name. And then there's these TED salons, which go on once a month. And those are a piece of cake to get into. And my husband and I are sitting at one of those and we're listening to these really cool people and having fun. And at the end, they said, if anybody would like to be a TEDx speaker, we still have openings. And a lightning bolt went down my spine that said, you got to do that. And I said to my husband, I'm supposed to do that. And he said, I thought you were terrified of stages. And I said, I know. I don't think I should do that, but I think I better go do that. Mm -hmm. And there was this whole process that went on of absolute terror. And I called, I went home, I, I applied, assuming they're never going to let me in because I wanted to talk about feng shui, which <laughs> is, what is that? And who would do that? And I went home and then they, to my horror, they said, that's an interesting enough topic. We'd like to know more. Didn't you have to record yourself though? If I remember well, correctly. Well, the step one is you fill out the little piece of paper. Oh, okay. Right. And I'm thinking this is easy. This is online. I've got my little application in. Isn't this all fine? Thinking, oh, I'm so brave. Yay me. <laughs> and it's never going anywhere. So no harm, no foul. Then they call and said, we think this is good enough. Now we want a video. Very casual. You can sit in front of your computer and do a little video. It won't hurt. No problem. What was it? 85 takes? You had the number. It was, it was up there. I, it's embarrassing to remember because it was so bad. And I, would, I couldn't, my name wouldn't come out. Words wouldn't be pronounced. I couldn't say feng shui anymore. I suddenly started taking on an accent at one point. I mean, it just kept getting worse and worse. And I thought, well, now we've clarified. There's no way this is going to happen. And then they called again the little buzzards, and said, you know, we'd really like you to join us. And it'll be in an auditorium of about 400 people. It will be filmed and then put online and live streamed, etc. And I thought, this is official. This is how I die. This is it. This is going to be it. And I called a really good friend and she said, do you have to go on tomorrow? And I said, no. And she said, then you have time. So 
let's just go ahead and get you ready as though you were going to do it, knowing you could cancel any minute. And it was because of that process that I was able to actually make it happen. Now, let's call it what it is. They did not rise to their feet screaming bravo, throwing roses on the stage, which is what my vision had been. But I didn't die. I didn't fall off stage. And I discovered that I can talk in front of people as long as I have prep time. And I thought if somebody who is as terrified of speaking publicly as I was can do this, then anybody can. And all they need is the skills and the support and love to help them. And that ended up becoming a career. And that's what I do now. And you do that that at Red Fox Road Consulting. Right. That's your company. That's mine. Yep. And it takes you around the world. Am I correct in this? Yeah. Yeah. I've had, it's extraordinary. I go all over the place. Yeah. I've been to Turkey and everywhere on the Eastern side. I just got back from Singapore. Yeah. And it's, it's a phenomenal thing. Who knew? Truly, this was, this was the, the proof of a little bit of courage because that's what it was. Ended up being this whole amazing thing. A guy got a hold of the tape and said, you know, if you can do that and help others do that, we've got a career for you. And that was with another group that just started the process. And then I started learning how to write proposals and learning how to design programs. And I just kept saying, well, how do you do that? And how do you do that? And before you know it, start building relationships and kaboom. Did you mention if you stayed one step ahead of the game and you had one piece of the puzzle that someone else didn't, it always made you relevant? I don't know if that's exactly how you worded it, but I'm remembering a conversation on the bus. You're like, I just need to learn this and then I can go prove it out there. Yes. Can you give an example of that? Yes. So at any given moment, you're always talking to a group of people who are interested in communications. And I will, I, I stay in my box So I stay inside of communications because that's really where my strength is. But for example, emotional intelligence. I don't claim to have uh, absolute brilliance on all things emotional intelligence wise, but if I can pull together the, the concepts and then give you a way to practice them, you walk away knowing more than you did and I walk away learning how to continue to make that better. Okay. So it's always about a continuous improvement. Like a lot of it's QI projects, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about, basically. So, yeah. like, what would an institution or an organization see in their operations that would say that would indicate to them we got to call Carol? Boy, that's that's good. So it's it's transformed over the years. Initially, it started as there was an executive presence program. And that's the one that I've actually written a book about. It's called Unleash Your BS, Your Best Self. And it's based on the guy who called me in, Jeff Black, his materials on executive presence. And the idea is what a lot of the first calls we got was we either have young, really new, high potential talent that we want to develop in leadership. And maybe they're a little rough. They're fresh out of engineering school, maybe two or three, five years in in the world. And they could really use some polish just to help them be better communicators as they're talking to people with larger titles. Cool. So it started there. And then it, it just kind of kept developing into who needs what. And um, uh, so the, I just finished a contract with GE where we were talking about emotional intelligence. And we were using that topic with some folks who are in more senior roles who haven't had exposure to that. And, and how does that play into con- con working with new generations of, of people coming in? Sure. Because it's a different world. Right. Like how a a baby boomer would deal with a millennial. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because that's just a different understanding, right? It's not judgment, better, worse. It's just who's doing what and how. 
And then that led into someone calling, and this is the absolute passion in my world, which is to help speakers, but not professional speakers as per se. I mean, that I'll help them if they call. But when I really love it is when they pick somebody out of nowhere. I have one client. I just love these people. It's Synchrony Financial does this amazing diversity gathering. 500 people in a room from 10 different networks of diversity and live streaming to another 20,000 around the world. And they choose two people to come up and be the MCs for this. And these mm -hmm. people might never have been on a stage before. Mm -hmm. And my job is to take them from, I can't believe I really said <laughs> yes to this, to, oh my gosh, I can't wait to do it again. And that is one of my favorite processes. Well, that really relates with your story. You yeah. Know, from what you talk about. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I mean, that's why there's a little uh, uptick in your voice. You, you don't get very excited about that at all, do you? Yeah. <laughs> That's yes, awesome. I am. My job is to be the, the, the they call me the authoritative hug. <laughs> I just keep nudging them along and nudging mm. them along and nudging them along because I know this can be fun because it became fun for me. And I know in the beginning, I would rather have walked across tax. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to see the difference is extraordinary. Sure. And how many years ago was that that you um, you walked across the tax and made that first presentation to 400 people? Yeah. Oh, oh uh, the it was 2008 that I did the um, the TED, but the first true disaster was was uh, probably 20 years ago, mm -hmm. where I walked up and I discovered how quiet 400 people can be. <laughs> yeah, I made a joke, and it turns out it's really extraordinary how quiet they can be. Well, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. dive into. Would you mind telling us the joke? Oh God, I wish I could. That it is it is actually a little um, black hole in my brain. What happened, I was a part of a marketing team. Uh -huh. And so I'm sitting in the back. We'd had this great event. We're all high-fiving, you know, got through their thing. And all of a sudden, this person, totally uninvited, standing on the stage, says, and now we'll have a few words from Carol Hamilton. And I thought, I wonder who she is, because I don't go on stage. And sure enough, and then he, he does the, well, come on, let's applaud and get her up here. So they stand there. They do a, like a golf clap. It uh. takes five to eight seconds for them to do that. I'm at the back of a room with 400 people in it. All you hear is the tap, tap, tap of my heels as I'm doing this death march to the front, <laughs> trying to think, what am I going to say? What am I? Gonna... I have no idea what I was supposed to say. So I lean in and said something that I thought might actually be funny. Nothing. And then one guy starts to laugh and everybody looks to see who has such poor taste and humor. It's the salesman from our company. I didn't know if he was from the Midwest. Yeah. No. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Yeah. That would have been a great tie-in. I'm going to have to include that, but that actually isn't the story. Completely changed the story, and lo and behold, it was a person from the Midwest. <laughs> it was actually the salesman from our company, so it was a complete pity laugh. Sure. You know, and now I'm just, I, ah, 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 I'm done. I whisper something like, thank you, and race from the room, swearing, that's it. It'll never happen again. And then I called my dad, and I should know better, but I'm looking for pity. And I called him and I said, this horrible, horrible thing happened. And he said, if you can learn to speak and you can learn to write, you will rule your own world because so few people know how to do those two skills. And I would like to say that I was right and he was wrong because I like being right, but it's not true. Um, that truly, that, that mark of the TEDx experience in Greenville changed everything. And that was from truly putting my feet into the fire that I'm going to learn how to do this. 
and not having any idea what the other side could look like. And that's why I get all jazzed when I talk about my MCs who right, get up there right. because their lives change. Once they know they can do that, they, they come back and say, I've started speaking up in meetings. I've started having opinions about things and I'm letting people know about my opinions and their worlds change. How do you not want to be a part of that? So cool. So yeah. real quick, yeah. I've got a question behind this before this one. If someone wants to find you, what's the best social media platform to find Carol? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Carol Hamilton Live. LinkedIn. Okay. Carol Hamilton Live. Okay. So perfect. If you want to find out how Carol can make those changes for you or your company, there you go. Find her on LinkedIn. Let's say one of us is the person that's out in the crowd and we've got to be an MC. Yeah. If you had 10 minutes to polish that person, what would be the three tips or pieces of advice you would give someone to get them from... I can't do this too. All right, you know what? I can go crush it. Yeah. Uh, first off, get a really solid handle on what's expected of you. What are you expected to do? If you're basically just standing there being the glue who says, you know, now we're all going to lunch and now we're going to do this, get the absolute, it's called a run of show, so that you know exactly what you're expected to say because details like that are so important to the audience and those can't be winged in case you get it wrong. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing is to remember that you need to be in the room watching the show at all times because you are the voice of the audience. So if something really interesting happens on stage or, oh, I don't know, let's say a fire alarm goes off, anything happens, you're part of it. And then when you walk up on stage, it's your job to comment. Oh, did you capture that moment in that speaker? Did you hear what they said? Oh, wasn't that amazing? And you are setting the tone. So when you're excited and happy and really jazzed about what you're saying and jazzed about the show, the audience goes, yes, we are too. And you are that Midwesterner who laughs easy because now they're all jazzed about it and they can't wait to be a part of that. Yeah. And then probably the third thing would be uh, to be prepared with the very first thing you say. Know what you're going to say to a point of it is practically embroidered into your head for those first five to six lines because that's when you're going to step out on a stage and have the biggest nerves. And if you come out fully armed in what's going to be said, that will be put into your long-term memory, which is what practice does. And then if you do some breathing exercises for 30 days ahead of time, if at all possible, between the breath exercises, oxygen is, is food for the brain, and the practice, having it lodged into your long-term memory, even if you go into brain freeze, all of that's going to be accessible. And when those first few sentences come out and the audience joins you, it, there is an energy about it that just builds. And suddenly you are so excited to be there. It becomes a love affair. And it, that's what it's supposed to be with an MC. It's supposed to be we are friends. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I have two MCs, the very first assignment they get is to be on the phone every week. Just talking about family, talking about pets, talking about what's important, getting to know each other's pacing, getting to know each other's sense of humor, so that when they're in front of us, we see their friendship and we're, we're one with them. Oh, right on. And if they've never met before, you can feel that. You see that in those Oscar or those, those presentations where they're like, hi, this is my best friend I met backstage. Oh, isn't this nice? And they try to do jokes between each and other. it's horrible. Yeah. And that's the worst thing that can happen. Yeah, it's dreadful. <laughs> wow. How do you see these skills translating into more one-on-one -on -one 
uh, environment. Like let's say, because an emceeing is it one skill where you're interacting with an audience and you have multiple balls in the air at the same time. But are these skills transferable in like one-on-one interpersonal communications as well? Uh, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. They become better listeners because there's, so, there's a sense of security. They stop trying to prove things. I've, I've stood and talked in front of rooms of two of 500 people. I can clearly just sit back and listen to what you have to say and be able to have a personal exchange. And they're bigger risk takers. So there isn't that introverted uh, choke. Now, it doesn't mean they never get choked up, but I've seen people go through promotional interviews and they just walk in and, there's, and they sit with confidence, not arrogance, but confidence because they've walked through one of the biggest fears they've ever had. Right. Yeah. And I think that that absolutely translates. It's, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it, it, seems, um, it does seem like more and more people, when they're communicating online, that... that I don't want to say generationally, I think it, is, it spans generations, but we lose these subtle things like context and nuance and um, nonverbal cues. And it seems like you're working to kind of bring those back or to kind of keep that tradition in modern business communication. Whereas like, to, to rather than just sending off a quick email with no subtext or context or, right. or, or so that, that you want to bring like a human element back to a pretty modern and technologically driven world. Well, and, and I love this part of the conversation because I have to tell you, I love technology. You will have to rip my phone out of my cold, dead hands before I would give it up. I think technology isn't is going anywhere. It's just getting better. The key is to remember where each thing works the best. If I just have a quick question, texting, ah, oh, God love them, whoever came up with texting, right? <laughs> that just cuts to the chase, saves me all kinds of time. But if I want to build relationship, texting is not going to be my best friend. Right. We just today, uh, we did a series, and I just love, Mr. Cooper's amazing. Their leadership development is incredible. And they, we did this series of leadership videos where they're just reaching out to their team saying thank you. You could take that same video, transcribe it, and put it into an email, and it would be a dead document. Right. But when somebody looks into a camera and gives you eye contact and says something they genuinely feel about thank you for your job, well done, it's extraordinary. And it comes to life in this amazing way. And I, I just fully encourage anybody to be a part of that because when we build relationships, we build resilience. So when there's a conflict, if we have relationship, it's so much easier to manage yeah. because there's not all these assumptions. And frankly, I think anything in writing, you got to look at the history of writing and realize what an art form that is. And if we're putting emails together, when's the last time you treated an email like an art form? Right? I, we I just whip it out. Say never. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So email, again, has its place. It's a, it's, sometimes it's a legal document or a legal record. Sometimes there's, a, there's facts that need to be related to other people. It can be incredibly helpful in global audiences where you might be using technical terms. It gives people a pause to see what it is they're discussing. But when you're building a team, when you're building a client, when you're having conversation, converse, nothing replaces human contact. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that that's probably really true. I think a lot of people, it's just choosing the right tool. Yes. You know, it's a toolkit, and you have your one-on-one your -on -one communication, your small group, and texting and emailing, and, and probably a lot of what you do is helping people choose the appropriate tool for the appropriate job. Sure. And getting out of habit. 
So the habit can be, I've got my go-to, I've got my WhatsApp or my whatever it is, my latest app, right? I've got my habit of what I go to. So the question is, do we need to add another tool? And then within that tool, how can we make this better? So I work with a lot of global teams and global teams are really struggling in understanding each other. We're crossing languages, we're crossing cultures, we're using things like speaker phones. Yeah. We have different versions of what English pronunciations are. And so while it might be a universal language, there's a lot of variation. And how are we treating each other like human beings through that? What would you say is your favorite mode of technology in, in the business world that you're pushing? You, you mentioned WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. And I, I just recently started using it. But then you've got Facebook Instant Messenger. Then you have texting. Then you have... Uh, email. I mean, there's so many different ones out there. Which one are you really driving right now when you sit down with a group like uh, Mr. Cooper? Right. Well, what you'll find as you go from company to company is they're driving it. Okay. And the reason is because there's all sorts of security issues on their end. So they have their, this is the one we we're using and this is what you're going to use in that. A lot of people have a Facebook-like function that's internal. Um, externally, I still think that the greatest communication is LinkedIn. I mean, as far as I can tell, their base is built on business. Facebook, I get so much pushback around Facebook, maybe Facebook Messenger a little bit, but most people think of Facebook, especially if you go to the 50 and older crowd, they just think that's sharing pictures of breakfast, you know, and they don't get it. And so there's a huge pushback from Facebook on that end. Yeah. But LinkedIn, uh, Voxer, Voxer is really nice. We have a I friend got into Voxer last that year. Yeah. yeah, Voxer's handy. At least you get a voice out of that. Mm -hmm. And I really do like that. I, I really too. started enjoying the Voxer voice part out of it. Um, Facebook's voice, it only records, or video only records so long. But yeah. Voxer, Voxer's really nice like that. So I was just curious to see yeah. what your take was. And you'll, you'll never hear this guy right here complain about LinkedIn. Really? He's, uh, oh, yeah. It's a great tool. Yeah, you were on that almost instantly with, yeah, you friended me. I was like, yeah, he yeah. likes to link. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's a great tool. Not as much noise as we get from some of the other platforms, albeit some of the other ones are really great. But, uh, yeah, LinkedIn, been a user a long time, so I agree with it. And, and what you're talking about, and now with the addition of video and some of the things that they've up there, up their game. Yeah, they're yeah. staying current, which I think is important. And I would say that in terms of getting business, it's been LinkedIn. I have presence other places, mm -hmm. but LinkedIn, now that's also because I'm more engaged in LinkedIn than others. I just like the conversation. So give us a leveraging tip. Someone out there that's in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever it is, that's on LinkedIn that they can utilize that's benefited you. Oh man, simple, easiest way to network. I was just having this conversation with somebody who just had triplets come into their world. Now, he's probably about six months out from sleep where he can do anything. But when he's ready, the thing about social media, so let's say LinkedIn, you can connect to anybody. Um, I'll give you an example. I was working heavily with, with GE and Beth Comstock was at the time their director of marketing. She's since gone on to write a book called um, Imagine Forward. Brilliant. She's, she's just an incredible, she's a great speaker. She's a really good executive. She's brilliant at leadership. So in other words, I have no access to a person at this level ever, except online. And when she first went into LinkedIn, she would, she would post these things that I thought were absolutely genius. And I'd look at them and nobody's responding. And I thought, okay, well, that's easy enough. You know, I'll go ahead and type a little right. something in. I got an answer in less than 24 hours. 
We then developed an online conversation. I could have put a tent outside her yard and her office and never have had that kind of connection. And it happened when I'm home in my jammies, for all I know, she's home in hers. And now we're having a real conversation. And then when I had a question, I brought it up. And then when I saw where she was speaking and I was speaking too, we ended up, I said, hi, we've met online. I shook hands. Now, I'm not saying that she could pick me out of a lineup at this point because there was a lot of people, but that was a connection that I've never had or wouldn't have had before social media. Mm -hmm. And as a natural introvert, this is the best possible way. And all of the senior leaders in every company I've ever worked for are on LinkedIn. Many of them are doing really solid blogs. And for those of you who have written a blog, it takes time. You've got to figure out an idea. You've got to rewrite it, write it again, and then you put it out. And when nobody responds, you know, it's kind of a sad little moment, you know, <laughs> where is everybody? So when you come in with some sort of message moving response, you're a hero. And isn't it fun to be a hero? And this is so easy. And you didn't have to go out and eat bad chicken. <laughs> you know, you got to just sit there and get connected. So number one, engage. Find engage. something meaningful that you, that you really, truly want to engage that person for, mm. even if it's a high five. Yeah. But um, the quality engagement will turn heads. And authenticity. Mm -hmm. So I don't follow anybody I think is a moron. <laughs> I don't care what their title is. If I think they're idiots, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go in and engage because ooh you're so famous or you're this or that. I only want to have real conversations, and I think you can spot those from a mile off when oh. somebody's just trying to. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in trouble, Carol. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see unlinked. <laughs> Yeah. It's, and, and speaking of famous people, not to go down that road too much, but you've been associated with or been next to a couple, you know, recently, um, Sir Richard Branson, uh, Jim Quick, uh, because of the speakeasy yeah. uh, with our friend Steve Sims, TEDx, obviously you're doing things all over the place with that. And then uh, you were at a recent Oscar party, I think, as well. Like, I, was, I mean, like, you were all oh, oh, I know, I am all that, aren't I? <laughs> Oh, hello. I should have dressed up a little bit. Like, I know, I know, you know, get the eyebrows and... Yeah. But when you go to events or you're around people like that, what is it like and what do you try to bring to the table? There's something right here if you look. It says, leave every relationship better than you found it. Uh, so uh, this is from our good friend Travis Chapel, who's got a, a great podcast out mm. there. But tell us, what do you do when you're around people like Richard Branson, Jim Quick, and, uh, and and Steve and uh, Elton John and um, yeah. people like that. Well, can we just can we just take a moment to say that some of these things happened before, but most of them have happened since I've met Steve Sims. So I read Blue Fishing. So here's an example of networking. I read the book Blue Fishing, who I heard about through somebody else, uh -huh. who said, oh, there's this really cool book. I read Blue Fishing, which is a, a book about, in my mind, it's about how to dream big and how to give great customer service and how to just live big. And I read this book and thought, this is a great story. I wanna know more about this company. Picked up the phone and called Steve's office and started talking to them and said, this is just such a really cool thing. And he said, well, you know, if you like that, you should look into this speakeasy thing I'm doing. And he said, yeah, we're going to run over. We're going to have this, you know, group of people like Jim Quick come and talk, who's so amazing. And then we're going to, you know, buzz on over to Elton John's party. And I said, oh, really? You know, <laughs> oh, Elton's having a party as though, you know, me and Elton were just like this. And I thought, 
what, how fun is it to get engaged in conversations with people who are so far outside your realm that I wonder what that's going to sound like. I wonder what that's going to be like. And I'm not going with any agenda. I just want to hear what happens. Mm-hmm. And it did. It changed the world because I started seeing and hearing things differently. And then that led into the trip to Necker, which was the same experience. There's just all these people sitting around looking at the world from this really interesting landscape that I don't normally get. And so it's just encouraged me to continue doing things like this. But I have a favorite story from that Oscar party. Oh, um, please. Dying to hear it. A friend dropped me off, and and she's she couldn't come with me, but she helped me do the hair and makeup stuff, which is like this enormous ordeal and so far out of my realm. <laughs> anyway, she pulls up, and, she, and I had this moment as I'm watching these young, you know, beautiful young women walk in, and I went, <sighs> you know, it'd be really nice not to look like a soccer grandma right now. <laughs> and she goes, you know, sometimes you just got to throw your head back and walk in. Yeah. And I went, okay, fair enough. So I did. I got up, threw my head back, and I walked, and I decided I'm going to have the time of my life. Couldn't care who else I talked to. I went around. I, I would walk up to people. Some of these women are so magnificently created. And you know this took years to get to looking like this, right? I mean, they're they're amazing. And I would walk up and say... I hope you look as beautiful. I hope you feel as beautiful as you look. Just because I thought somebody should remind them how amazing they are. And I took that approach all night. And it wasn't, I wasn't trying to work anything. And we got some pictures and stuff. But it was really, do you know how amazing you are? Because I know in this world of competition how hard that can be. So at one point, my favorite part of the night, it's, it was empty in the bar. The bar is this enormous tent. And there's a spotlight on one woman standing at the bar in a gold dress. And she is breathtaking. It's just glowing. And I walked by just like, oh, that's just artwork on a stick. That's just amazing. And I thought, I'm going to go tell her. So I walked up and I said, I just leaned in and whispered to her. I said, you're positively glowing. You're absolutely glowing. She whipped around and hugged me. And she said, you're my angel. I said, huh? And she said, "My, this isn't my dress. My dress couldn't get through customs in time. And my boyfriend and I spent all day digging around LA trying to find a dress. It was a horrible, stressful thing. And I was standing here this moment wondering if the dress was good enough. <laughs> and then you walk up. And I thought, you know, regardless of where you are, Human communications is just about loving each other. Hmm. You know, Carrie, I was going to ask you this. Uh, whether they're famous actor or actress or uh, big-time business people, um, you, ever, you, ever, you ever come across someone that almost in that, in that uh, same vein with when the girl in the gold dress, that uh, too often people are intimidated so they won't talk they won't All the talk time. to them? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It is. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah. And they end up being kind of lonely. Yeah. It's the whole thing with the blog and nobody responds because they say, well, why would you want to listen to me? We had a woman who came to one of my classes and she just loved it. And she said, oh, I loved it. And she said, I need to spread my network. How do I network? And I said, well, did you happen to hear the VP who spoke right in front of me? She said, oh, yeah, she was great. I said, have you connected with her and said, by the way, I really enjoyed your, your speech and maybe brought a point out that you really enjoyed? Oh, she wouldn't want to hear from me. I said, you know, let's just, let's just try an experiment, okay? What would you say? Go ahead, get your, get your board. What would you say? And she typed out this really short little thank you note. 
Less than an hour later, the woman came to her office, the VP, and said, would you like to have coffee? Hmm. They've gone on to create a whole series of lunch and learns that they do together. The VP is drawing from her network to bring people in. The person who was talking to me, the manager, is bringing in people from all over the company. They are thirsty for people to reach out and say, I have ideas, I wanna try things. They are so receptive, but they can't reach out every time and say, here's an idea, because they don't actually, they're not looking to go, here's your assignment. <laughs> they're looking for, what do you want? Right? Who do you want to be? How can we help? What's the big dream? Where do you want to go? What do you see? How can you help us drive the company? You know, these things come down from HR and sometimes you'll see eyes roll and you go, okay, if it's not there, what do you want? Have you communicated that? All these people, they're not looking for ways for you to suffer. They're really trying to help you get where you want to go and take the company with them. That's beautiful. Wow. That's, uh, if, if I That's pick two words and they probably don't go together. In, in what we've heard so far, it's fear and communication. How to overcome your fear and, 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 and go all in, uh, along with actually having a conversation. Mm -hmm. Communication is such a dead art form. And, and you embrace it. And, and, and that's what you're doing today with Mr. Cooper. It's like, listen, you communicate through an email. It's, just a, it's, it's like a dead poet. But you actually do a video it's more personalized. It's like a warm hug coming around. Oh, they actually give a, yeah. they, they, they actually cared enough to actually shoot the video. Yeah. And if anyone's done video, namely you, you know, it might take a few takes to where you're sitting there. And oh, you're no like, kidding. You're like, you know that with me sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of like, you got to sometimes just do it. Well, and there's some, there's some core things to practice, right? So you got to, you got to check your sound. Because as we all know, any sound will get magnified through that. The other thing, you got to check the lighting because it's it, it's inevitable that you stand under a light and you and then you look like you're in the witness protection plan. <laughs> That's why right? we have that right there. For yeah, you. exactly. So there's always you know you're always playing with those, and then you've got to check your message. What are you saying? And I always love it when they come back and they say, you know, the first one was okay. But it's the second one where I started getting into it. And I started letting myself get a little vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I started letting a little bit of my heart out. And then you'll hear these amazing stories where we had one person, I did this when I was in France, where he was gone for a week in this training university. And he sends back something to his team. And the next day they sent one back to him. And it just, I mean, it, he cried. He said, look at my people. And they'd sent this beautiful, heartfelt message. Tell me that's not a more productive, more, more time, energy. This is just, I can't even come up with the words. I'm so excited about it. But tell me that's not a stronger team, more resilient, who can live through things, as well as productive and income generating and all the good business things. But that's happier people. Because mm -hmm. isn't that what we're all looking for? No doubt about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Engaged, yeah. happy, and productive Exactly. And now everybody's happy. Mm -hmm. It's an easier team to lead. And it certainly has more innovation built in because they're going to be more risk taking because it's safe. If I were to sit there and say, what is Carol's superpower? What would you say your superpower is? Vulnerability. I am willing to, to call myself on anything and to be called on anything and tell everybody about it. I have no issue telling you how many things I've screwed up because I think that that's where my learning is and therefore that's my greatest teaching. 
is vulnerability. I tell this story of how I, you know, spit out a joke and 400 people sat in silence every class I walk into because I want them to know I wasn't born with this. And I've had classes. I was teaching in the, in the, the military and I learned this early because a woman who was a guest in the class came up and she said, have you, do you have any stories of messing up in front of people? And I was like, I've built a career <laughs> on it. You know, absolutely. And she said, you need to tell them because these guys think you were born with this. And it, it demonstrated to me that if you're, if you're really good at what you do and nobody knows the backstory, then they assume that they were somehow genetically flawed, right. that you got that extra gene, you got that thing that makes you special. And when I talk about being the introvert who was the wallpaper in the networking meetings and terrified of speaking in front of people who sang rubber ducky in fifth grade <laughs> off key and my neighbor who I babysat for was right there in the front row. I mean, when I talk about the, the absolute horror of it, I think they understand that it's genuine. I came, this did not, this wasn't a birthright. This is something that I made the decision I was going to figure out how to do based on my dad. And that, okay. that would be the fork in the road was like yeah. you at, at going to the TEDx and kind of going with that. And Joseph, you usually. Yeah. Well, I, the one thing I always ask people, I've, I've always asked people is um, when you came to that, that decision, that fork in the road, did you, did you make it with your head or your heart? You know, were you a, a, a scarecrow or a tin man? Yeah. You know, did you, what, what, it was made with my heart because I didn't go to TEDx thinking, oh, now I'm going to be a speaker. Right. I went to TEDx thinking, this is the last hurrah on my feng shui career. This okay. is either going to get me a thousand clients. And of course, I thought the phone would ring off the hook because why wouldn't it? Right. And, you know, <laughs> this is going to be brilliant. Of course, this is going to be the greatest marketing tool of all time, which was so not true. But I, it, it was my heart because my right. heart in, in my relationship to feng shui, and I, I wrote a really tiny little book about it called Feng Shui Coaching. My heart is so wrapped up in helping people fall in love with where they live and work because I think that makes them fall in love with themselves and fall in love with their coworkers. Right. So it was all heart leading into that. Well, I remember when feng shui got pretty big in the States. Yeah. So it was like during the Japanese management yeah. era. You right. Know, and then we're incorporating a lot of uh, Japanese management principles. Right. Toyota had a big day during those times. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. And that movie, there's a bunch of movies. Sure. Well, we had Karate Kid. Yeah. We had all kinds of stuff going well, on. Well, there's like yeah. a mini renaissance of that. But it sounds like you've still kind of kept those feng shui principles. You've just, because now you're talking about people in the environment, mm -hmm. not necessarily objects in the environment. Right. And it's, it's, it is like a feng shui approach to working. Is it? I mean, yeah. am, I, am I reading that correctly? It is because feng shui, for me, it, there are people who have a very um, religious attachment to feng sure, shui. Like a Taoist type yeah, of approach to it. Which I totally honor, but that's not my, that's not where I connect to it's it. Secular feng shui. Right. right. <laughs> and there's different, there's different um, schools of feng shui that can be extremely guided, heavily guided. And sure. I've never done well with rules. So it turns out that's the same with feng shui. It's for me, it's about the metaphor. And so then I look at the space, but then, so when we're working with somebody like an executive coaching situation, we talk about what are you wearing? How's, how's your hairstyle feel? And it's not about right or wrong, it's how do you feel? 
Right. Are you, are you comfortable in your own skin? Yeah. Do you stand up in a way that makes you feel the way you want to feel? And if not, what do we need to do to change that? And I usually have some ideas that you might not have thought of. Right. Wow. That is, no, no, go, go. I'm sorry. This is only peripherally related, but I'm going to kill myself if I don't ask it. <laughs> so you, the comedy club thing, you, were you just a routine audience member? I mean, no, I was a manager. Okay, so so I had the right to be capacity. in there all the time. Right. And I was there like, I was there every night I could be. Okay, so you had, that was your job. That was how you were paying your bills. Right? You were a yeah. manager at a comedy club. Yeah. And... And as a result, this, okay. So that, it was an accident. It really was, which is where my, most of my life is, right? It was an accident. It was a well-to-do comedy club though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a brilliant comedy club. In fact, it's the Ice House in Pasadena and it's one of the greatest places in the world to be. And it was, it still is a wonderful place to work. But the whole idea that I got to go somewhere where people were paying to laugh, I was so in. I was in hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. I started as a waitress, became a bartender, then went right into okay, management. Cool, cool. And I am in hog heaven when I got to be manager because I got to sit in all the time. Well, that must have given you a, I mean, that was probably a master class in human behavior. You know, the read of the pathos and the, the, all that that's involved in Absolutely. Comedy, you know, Absolutely. So, sure. Yeah. Because there's right, a this whole way, level so layer to that. This. Yeah. This makes so much more sense. So yeah. Was, yeah. yeah. How does, did she get yeah. here? Yeah. He doesn't have to kill himself. Oh, well, I'm so glad. Yeah. And a feng shui style style though yeah well true yeah there's a there's a number of ways to do that with heart yes (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah okay cool that that, thank you yeah did you ever worry about what others might think of your decision on every every day yeah i think that that again coming back to the vulnerability i have always i was always concerned um there was a moment in my life, and I'm not going to get too deep into it because it's got a lot of family thoughts in it, but there was a moment when I was literally sitting at a stop sign and left was going and replaying a pattern that I knew really well that hadn't worked out in the past, and right was complete unknown, and I went right after 45 minutes. I literally sat at I mean, I was waving people by. I literally sat there for 45 minutes realizing I was at a juncture. And the old was was fitting in with a whole family dynamic and a, a family story, and the new was completely unwritten, and I didn't know what to do with that. And so I went right, and I decided I was looking for a place to live. I had a trailer. I was supposed to be moving this way. I, I just went out on the road, and I spent six weeks out on the road driving around the country trying to find where my heart was, where my home was. Um, and the only reason I actually stopped is because I had brought with me my cat, who had gotten pregnant at the last minute. And the day I made this decision, she had her litter. And the the day I figured out where home was, all the cats were able to get out of the basket. Wow. And I went, well, it's official. I can't have six kittens running around my feet, so we're staying in Savannah. Hmm. So I went to Savannah, Georgia. And, and that changed a bunch of different things. But having to please was in my DNA. I'm from Minnesota. We do Minnesota nice. Oh, Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Minnesota, I'm nice. Minnesota nice. Yeah. yeah. We don't, you know, we just don't have problems. It's all okay. <laughs> and so the whole concept of trying to make the world happy has haunted me until um, I was 42. And at 42, I went, you know, it turns out that's not actually working. So why don't we try something else? And I had made edgy decisions before, but the decision to go right, I didn't, I mean, I literally didn't call anybody for three days because I was convinced they would call me back. Mm-hmm. And, and when I did call, they were like, well, thanks for checking in. And I went, sorry, but I had to get, I had to get far enough away 
so that I could make sure I was making the decision. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've always tried to come back to gut feel, which I think is a hard thing to get to for pleasers like me. So it's always been a, okay, if this is the wrong answer, how bad could it be? Sure, like a risk assessment. Yeah, and typically I know I'm not going to die, and so it's like, okay, well, let's give it a shot. And as I keep doing that, I find that the experimental stage becomes more fun. And it's not so high risk because I start realizing, you know, people don't die. When your two choices are, I'm going to die or not. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, like, I'm not going to die, so I can go do this. Exactly. Above ground sounds fine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Six feet up. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's a, that's, a, that's a really interesting way to look at something. Like, yeah. I got it probably is not applicable at all. Actually, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, you clearly, you don't say, like, you know, will I die? And if the answer is no, you just do it, right? I mean, no, like, no, I have a couple other questions usually sure, float exactly. in yeah, around. There's a, there's a chart. A yes, chart, yes, right? yes. There is gray area. No question. Right, yeah. But I think the original question was, will I die? Yeah. Because I had to... Right. I, it was at that level. I mean, will I die if I stand up in front of a stage of 400 people? That actually can feel more real than you're expecting yes. it to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, that's a good first question. <laughs> yes. Will I yes. yes. Will I die? Okay. Is that the only parameter? Yes. Well, maybe there's another bar exactly. in there. Yes. Option two. On yeah. There. So that's good stuff. Yeah. I you approve of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think the questions change as you have more to lose. Well, yeah, and more people in your life. And there's yeah. a whole calculus that goes with that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. The, I'm going to ask this question. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because you're awfully confident. You've met a lot of super cool people, some very famous people. Who's number one on your list? Maybe there's a 1A and a 1B that you would love to meet. Aside from us three guys tonight. Well, clearly. I mean, right. obviously. So Ashan. number four. Ashan, there you go. Obviously. That's quick. <laughs> you know, I, I want to, um, for 20 years, since the first time I heard Richard Branson talk about Necker Island, and he talked about it being a paradise to a person who, and the way that he bought it, and there's a whole story there that you can look up, and, and it's really extraordinary. But it was such a product of vision. And the first time I read that, I thought, I, I want to meet him. And every class I've ever led, I have said at some point, his picture has come up, and I've said, if anybody can ever put me into a situation where I can shake this man's hand, I'm in. And two weeks ago, I shook his hand. And it, it, it I'm feeling the goosebumps today. Right. It was this moment of completion that here is this woman who could only dream of that who is now in that moment and I think you know he did say a couple things I have not a lot of recall of what he said <laughs> I know it wasn't I mean we didn't have some deep meaningful conversation it was something like how did you meet this person who just introduced us um, and I was there with a group called the Mavericks who are a brilliant group of, of entrepreneurs and so it was it was that but it was more about the completion I spent a week on Necker which was incredible um, surrounded by really interesting people and really interesting conversations, which were very much about nonprofit. So these are people who have resources, and now how can they fix the world? And they, they come to the world with work hard, play hard, and make something better is kind of mm. their approach, which I love. And, and so I would have said two weeks ago, Richard Branson, and now it's kind of like, ah, oh, you know, mm. check. Right. And then the next week, we got to go to prison. 
And I got to meet some of the most extraordinary human beings on the planet. People who have 120 year sentences and are sitting there looking you in the eye talking about hope. Ha! It, you can talk about hope on Necker, so what? You got to Necker. You talk about hope from behind bars and you're looking at 120 years. You are never going to see outside these bars. You haven't had a visitor in years. That's somebody you want to meet. Mm. And we're going back in August. We, we are. Just and, and, and he's coming where? <gasps> I am. So happy. Yeah. Wait till you meet him. Yeah. Wait till you. Yeah. Oh. Now I've got goosebumps. Like seriously, like going up my back. Um, give me one of the more impactful stories. As, as we're getting ready to come to an end here, give us one of the more impactful stories that you had with your time in prison. Wonderful Willie. Okay. Wonderful Willie and I were doing a mutual coaching session, and it was, what do you need to forgive yourself about? And um, Willie said, I made an error in life early. And I was a young man, and I did some dumb things, and I landed in jail. I got out. I did some more dumb things, but I didn't get caught. And then I met my second wife, who I was much better with, and I had two children with, and I had a life. I'm 25 years old, and now I got a life. And one day the police knock on the door and say, hey, Willie, we figured out you killed this guy when you were 18, and he got life without parole. And this time, instead of going to jail as a young punk, he went to jail as a, as a dad who's never going to live with his children again, who is never going to be in his wife, with his wife again. And he said, I don't know how to forgive myself. And I said, you know, Willie, I don't, I don't know how to make this better, but I do know that we got to find a way to bloom, bloom where you're planted because that's your only choice. So tell me about what you've done with the time here. Knowing he's in this entrepreneur's program, I thought he would talk about that. And he said, well, I've written two books and I do everything I can to be a bright light in everyone else's life. <laughs> wow. I am so humbled to think I've accomplished anything because I don't know that I could do one day of that. And he does that every day. These are the people who are the influencers that I, I've, I just wish we all had exposure to all of them because the Richard Bransons and all the people who are brilliant are equally important and equally being the, inter the interpretive word. These are humans. Mm -hmm. And I didn't recognize their presence in the world until that day. And that day really brought me home. And I was a little nervous, you know, walking in, thinking who are, who's gonna be here. And I don't know if you remember, but we were walking up to the room where they were. You had to go through. The tunnel, which it kind of started getting a little dark and it's in the gym and you haven't heard, you haven't heard cheers like this before. Yeah. Like there's a hundred thousand people waiting for you. And then the, the, the tunnel of the arms and then they're just smiling and happy to sit there and I'm ready to piss myself. Yeah. That moment. Yeah. 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 We were standing outside. I was walking with Steve and I hear this cheering and I, my fear said, oh, I wonder if there's a fight and they're cheering the fight. Right. It's like, uh Oh, you know, cause I'm, I'm wearing four, we're, you know, we're in four deep. You sign a waiver that says, by the way, if you get caught in a bad situation, that's just a shame, yeah. you know? And you're so it's like, ah, and then we get inside and Steve and I said, Steve, what is that? And he goes, that's for you. 
And it, and this group of people is screaming in cheers and has their arms up welcoming us and they're high-fiving us and they're saying, you can feel the energy of, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. And I think about all the rooms I've walked into and lots of them are brilliant and wonderful. And every once in a while, you'll have a room where somebody sits there and says, I have to be in training, really? And you have this moment now in, in my brain that says, Man, I walked into a room where they were, they were, every ounce of their being was in gratitude that they got to be in that room. Mm -hmm. And shouldn't we all be doing that? Mm -hmm. And we've got, it's so much easier from where we sit to be grateful. So yeah, the lessons from that go on and on. This is an ongoing program called Defy Ventures. They're working really hard to continue to expand it. And anybody who wants to have a life altering day there's just no better way to spend time. You'll never walk into a meeting, a room, um, anything, and not and, and have any form of fear again. Yeah, yeah. You you really won't because the things that we take for granted, being able to open our refrigerator in the morning, get up when we choose to, um, it really takes a back seat when you get to be around these unbelievable entrepreneurs. Yeah. And some of them are going to get out. Not all of them are like right. Willie. And I, I, I remember Willie is an unbelievable human uh, and uh, had, had turned his life around. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot will get out. And this yeah. is and this is where the challenge is. I mean, you start looking at the statistics in, in the national prison system. There's a 75 percent recidivism rate yeah. in the Defy program. There's a less under 10. Yeah, it's, it's under consistently 10%. under 10 percent. So we can pay $80,000 a year per person to throw them into a cage and say, see it later, maybe. Or we can do a little bit of investment, a little more investment, and bring out human beings who are excited, energized, and leaders, and break the pattern. Because of all the people in there, 95% of them had a parent in prison, which means their children are at risk. Yeah. So let's... Why not look at the picture a little big bigger? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's amazing, and uh, I'm just I'm, I'm glad that uh, Brent's going to be able to join us. Me too. And Steve and uh, yeah, Neil. I bet Neil will be there again. Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, most of the people were so <laughs> profoundly moved that if they can't come back, they'll come to another future event because yeah. it's you just want to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to shift gears super quick here yeah. because I think you might have already told us, but maybe not. Do you have a story that will, uh, you know, bring it back to it? Maybe a like a little a, lighter, a little yeah. lighter mood, okay. like a, a story that uh, that's happened to you. I've told you some of the stories that people have told us. You I have. would love to hear. And I was trying to up it, and I can't play the game, so I'm just going to go with what I got. So um, I told you I was a bartender for a long time. Uh -huh. So you know, I I can drink some beer at the time. I could drink a lot of beer at the time. So some friends and I are out, um, you know, drinking some beer. That's the way it is. And the manager walks up and he says, so to my brother who's there, we're having a, a golf tournament and we'd really like you to join us if you'd like to come. And I, in my little beer goggle state, say, well, are you only talking to guys? Are you inviting women or what's this about? Let's see what's happening here. And he says, of course you can come. Would you like to sign up? Well, yeah. So I sign up. I hand him back his paper, and my brother looks at me and says, you've never golfed a day in your life. What are you doing? And I said, well, I got till when? Saturday? It's all right. So I call a friend, and I said, you know, I'm in this thing. And she said, 
who signed you up for a golf tournament? And I said, you know, the, my alter ego, <laughs> the one who likes your beer a lot. She goes, okay, so we have two days for this? And I said, yeah. And then I said, by the way, it's something called best ball. And best ball means that you only have to use two of your drives because it turns out that's okay. So it was good because what that means is that all of us hit a shot and they take the best shot. So the team is not reliant on me. One of my particularly memorable drives went 20 yards. And for that, I was awarded the shortest drive and I got an honorary box of Wheaties. <laughs> so... Uh, that was my golf career. However, when I met my husband, he was an aspiring professional golfer and I became his caddy. So I still don't swing a club, but I can carry a mean bag. There you go. <laughs> of Wheaties and, and beer. Yes, yes, yes. And now I don't drop the towel, although that couldn't be said in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. Uh, we went over a lot here. Uh, your, your travels around the world, the companies that you work with. The, the, the people that you've met, I've gotten to know so much more about you. And I know Brent and Joseph have any, any last questions you guys have? Anything? No, I'm, I'm, this is a, fa a fascinating subject for, for me. I, the future of communication and the way people exist in the world. Um, it, it's been really good. It's just Thank been you. a good Yeah, one, one anger. Yeah. Favorite place that you've ever been in the world since you've, uh, your worldly travels? Oh, my gosh. You know, um, I have to say Singapore is in the running. Now, I haven't spent as much time there. I get to go to Paris a lot because I have a major global client there, and that's really fun. Uh, one I want to go back to is Istanbul. Oh, so I feel like I didn't get enough time there, and there were some political things that made me a little nervous sure. at the time. But we got pulled over, and I lived through it. So, again, going back to the bar of if you don't die, try it again. Yeah. Um, so that went well. But I would suggest that I would really like to do a great deal more in, um, deep study into the Jap Japan, China, Singapore areas. I, I'm just fascinated by it. And that culture shift is so big. So I've gotten to see a lot of different kinds mm -hmm. of culture. I love seeing how people think. Mm-hmm. And I love when somebody gets all excited and shares who they are with you. That's just, that makes a good day. Yeah. Very cool. That's, that's beautiful. I appreciate you taking your time, coming all the way here. I know you've got a busy schedule. But, uh, you know, other than that, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know so many other people out there. And if you want to find Kara, like we said before, find her on LinkedIn. She'd love to hear from you. Be great. She's an amazing woman, um, author, uh, <laughs> specialist in feng shui. Yeah. Yeah. And so many other things. Uh, my name's Brandon Strauss, the Real Naked Agent, along with Dr. Joseph K. And Brent Duham. And we've got Carol. And Carol, any last words? I just can't say thank you enough because this is Communications 101, right? I love that we're doing this. We're just sitting in a room chatting. So thanks for the opportunity. It's been great. We loved it. Until <laughs> next time, we've got Carol with Red Fox Road Consulting. This is Breaking Business Barriers. Have an awesome rest of the week. You've been listening to Breaking Business Barriers. For more information, or if you have a compelling story to tell, find us on Facebook at Open Media Source.